4, let's begin at verse 19. I am reading from the Eugene Peterson's message translation. So you will hear a slight different vernacular than probably what you have in the NIV or the New American Standard and particularly King James Version. Oh, so you're a prophet. Well, tell me this, our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place for worship, right? Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark, we Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming, it has in fact come, when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that counts before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being, itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do so out of their very being, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. The woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that the Messiah is coming, and when he arrives, he'll get the whole story. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. Word of the Lord, you may be seated. I want to center my attention around verse 23 and 24, which becomes the crust of conversation between Jesus and this unnamed woman from Samaria. He says again, and I quote, it's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being, spirit, and those who worship him must do so in spirit and in truth. For the time is ours, that's the title I've given to this text, I Choose to Worship. I Choose to Worship. Let me begin with a quotation that marks the life of this woman and particularly the moment in which she is in deep conversation with Jesus. I quote John Maxwell, failure is not fatal. Only failure to get back up is. Let me say that again. Failure is not fatal. Only failure to get back up is. If you listen to that, you can see crumbs of that statement 
throughout the interchange between Jesus and this woman. Failure is not fatal, my dear. Only if you fail to get back up and try again. That's when failure becomes fatal. Warren Wigsby, great Bible teacher, gives us another statement that's extensive but yet depicting of the woman in this text. I quote, we can benefit from change. He's, he's forcing this woman to see that change is not the worst thing that can happen to you, but change is quite revolutionary when you allow it to take root in your transformation. Change we can benefit from. Anyone who has ever really lived knows that there is no life without growth. He's pushing her, he's pushing her to understand that failure is not fatal, but failure will be fatal if you fail to get up and try again. You cannot live without growing. You have to understand that growth is living. When we stop growing, we stop living, and we merely only start existing, just being here. Nobody wants to just be here, but we want to enjoy it while we are here. Since life is unpredictable, none of us know when our final breath will be, it behooves us to understand that it's critical that we live out every moment to the highest and the greatest and not worry so much about stuff that we can't change anyway, but enjoy life because it's so short. But there is no growth without challenge. He kicks in another dimension and tells this young lady, challenge is a part of living. In fact, you cannot grow without challenge. There are three critical movements that I think define the life of Jesus. The challenge that he had with Satan in the wilderness, the challenge that he had with himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the challenge that he endured when he allowed himself to be placed on the cross at Calvary. I would stretch out on the limb theologically and say to you, that as a human, Jesus becomes more engulfed in growth as he comes through the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Now, I know that troubles you conservatives who think just because, remember, Jesus is God and man. He's God enough to say unto Satan, it is written that the man of me can't live by natural bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But Jesus grows in his humanity by being challenged. And we too have the same context. We can't grow without some challenge. And I know there's something in us that would love to live life without a challenge. But if we don't have a challenge, we'll never know the fullness 
of who we are in Christ and we'll never really discover the power of God without having an opportunity where we have recognized our limits on what we can do. And so here Wigsby tells us that there could be no growth without challenge and there can be no challenge without change. Life is a series of changes that create challenges. And if we are going to make it, we have to grow. And Jesus pushes this woman to another level of understanding what growth is all about. He told this young lady who probably wanted to grow but felt like, what's the point? Because my baggage, which is my history, is ever before me. You get a chance to read Psalm 51. David reminds us that even after Nathan has told him about his condition, he writes back in his prayer to God and asks God, help me because my sin is ever before me. In other words, he says, Lord, I would love to get past this, but my baggage reminds me of my past and I know that I can't get there unless I get some strength from somewhere else to help me get beyond what my past might be stating. And there it is, Jesus is telling this woman from verses seven all the way down to 18, you may have baggage, but you're not just dealing with an ordinary other person who is trying to counsel you about your baggage. You're dealing with the king of kings who's the king of all counselors who has the ability that no counselor has and that is to look beyond your faults and see the need on the inside of you. He took this woman and convince her that it is now time for you to stop drinking from the well of temporal satisfaction. Remember, she had been coming to this well every day. She had been drawing water as needed for her existence. But Jesus shows up at this well and tells this woman, now it is time for you to move beyond merely existing. It is time for you now to begin to drink from the well of God that provides eternal, everlasting satisfaction. This woman may very well represent someone in the sanctuary this morning who wants to get past, remember we talked about last week, turning the page closing the chapter on yesterday you want to do that but there's something about the extra baggage that every time you go to turn you can feel the weight which creates resistance that keeps you from turning the page and Jesus tells this woman we're going to turn this page today and we're going to turn it because I'm not going to lift a finger to turn it for you I'm going to show you, in the language of John, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. 
He calls this woman to understand that she is going to move beyond this point, representing somebody in this sanctuary today who currently wants to get rid of the habit of temporal happiness, temporal happiness, and experience the ever-flowing joy of God moving forward. But, because you got a checkered past, you must stop growing and living. Absolutely not. Wouldn't it be interesting if we knew the dossier of everybody's past in this room? Wouldn't it be something when we saw somebody shout, followed the shout, was their history. Here is Jesus because I'm convinced that this woman, when she answers Christ, go get your husband and bring him back. When she said, I have no husband. Remember the line that I read for you right here in verse 24, that God is looking for those who are simply and honestly themselves in worship. I believe God looked out and said, you know what? Because you have just simply made the truth. You made it clear. You didn't try to sugarcoat it. You didn't try to hide behind it. You didn't put on a mask. You made it clear, I don't have a husband. Read the verses 15 through 17, 18. Jesus says, you have rightly said and the one that you have now is not even yours. But Jesus, I don't care about none of that. That's, that's history. That's past. I want you to get past your past. I want you to let it go. I want you to stop bathing in yesterday's failures. And the woman said, I would love to, but I'm so tired of people reminding me with their criticism and I can't stand another day of criticism. People pointing fingers at me. People reminding me of my past mistakes. And Jesus says, fine. Let's move beyond that. And let's handle the next challenge that lies ahead. And you look at the transition between verse 19 and 20. It's a sweet challenge. Because now I think she recognizes he has actually set me free. Remember verse 19, I perceive profit from God. In other words, I see now, and she doesn't completely see. You have to understand the word perception in the Greek. It doesn't mean that she has full vision. It means that God is unveiling, pulling away the mask, taking away the blinders from her eyes. And that's the joy of the Lord. He doesn't give us all that he are. Just think about this. We haven't seen all the goodness and all of his mercy and all of his grace, but we've seen enough to know I'm sticking with the Lord no matter what happens. I'm hanging out right here with God because enough of what I have seen is convincing enough. And she says, I'm perceiving. That's the word in the Greek. It's not perceived past tense. It's perceiving. It's present indicative. I'm now starting to see you are a prophet. And that's strange because Samaritans didn't believe in prophets. 
In fact, Samaritans didn't believe in any books beyond the first five books of the Old Testament. They knew that someone would come like Moses with a prophetic voice, a messianic figure that would lead them at the last day. And this woman says, because I know that she's not quite sure, she's perceiving, growing in her vision. But she says later in verse 25, 26, and then she says later on, verse 25, she says, uh, you, you must be a prophet. And Jesus tells her, oh, I'm, you, you ain't got to worry about it, I'm him. And she says, I, I think you might be right. You, you, you got an ability to look deep in me. And no one else has been able to do that. Shucks, no one else has taken the time to look into my soul. See, that's how you know you're in relation with someone who is really concerned about you when they take the time to look into your soul. I tell young people, when you go on a date, if all you hear is that other person's life, cut that date quick, go on back home, look at TV, and be happy. Because the concentration should be on you. I, I want to know what goes on with you, what's going on with you. Where did you come from? Where are you going? What ails you now? What are your goals? What are your objectives? How are you getting there? What help could I possibly provide to get you where you want to go? But if it's all I and I and I and I and I and I and I, and I, 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 you want to cut that conversation short. And Jesus is not about I, but he broke down the walls of this woman's resistance of all of the previous who only were concerned about criticism and he connected to her and she began to melt. She began to melt. The love factor begin to break through all of the walls that she has. Shh. Shh, shh. Listen. Can't, can't you hear her? Her soul has been challenged and changed and she's about to meet the next challenge but there's a song in her spirit that initiates the challenge. Listen, listen to her. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. Listen to her. Since I laid my burdens down. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Since I laid my burdens down. This ain't in the hymn book, this grandma version. I feel better. So much better. Since I laid my burden down. And now that she knows she's free, look at verse 20. She raises the next question. Where do I worship? Where do I go to celebrate God? In fact, how do I go to a space where I can find encouragement from others? Where do I go to find the power of God that will give me what I need to meet the challenge that God has now for me to do? Remember, the end of the story has her going back to town, telling everybody, come out 
and see a man who's told me all about who I am. And then she raises the question to the crowd in town, is this the prophet? Is this he? Is this the Messiah that we had been told would come? But now that her burden's lifted, she, she needs some place to worship. Verse 20 says that she says, Mama and them said we must worship at Mount Gerizim. But, but your folks say we must go to Jerusalem. Jesus says in verse 21, let me help you out, girlfriend. It's coming a time. In fact, the time is now. You won't need Mount Gizerim nor Jerusalem because the ultimate in terms of worship is, verse 25 and 26, they that worship must worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, Jesus was trying to tell her, pre, pre, 21st century listen when you talk about God God transcends space that's a Paul Tillich term God goes beyond space you can't put God in a box and tell God you can only show up right here but God can anoint right in Fairfax at exactly 10 minutes 15 minutes after 12 and be in North Carolina at the same time igniting somebody's heart in joy who is worshiping in spirit and Jesus says God wants somebody who's going to come to worship and who's going to lay before God and be honest and be true to who they are in the space of worship. He says, I, I don't want any hypocritical kind of thing. Don't come into church trying to fool me, God says. Don't show up trying to act like you got it all together and I already know you tore up from the floor up and I already know last night what your life was and I know what it was last week as well. Don't show up trying to fool me. You forgot I not only made you, but if it hadn't been for my grace and let you woke up this morning and started you on your way, I know where you were last night. I know what you did yesterday, but my grace gave you one more chance I don't care about Gerizim I don't care about Jerusalem just get in the church and choose to worship and here's the joy about church it really is not the confinement of a square space but church can take place in the car Let me get a little Fred Hammond going on my car. Boy, I'm going to shout that joint all the way down the road. Do you hear me? I mean, if I just get some Fred Hammond going and I can just hear him in my spirit, I'm like, that's it. I'm rocking all down by the road by myself. And yes, I'm going back and forth. And folk looking, I'm going, yeah, we jamming, baby. We talking about Jesus. That's it. Why? Because God is not confined to a church space. Let's get out in the parking lot. Let me meet someone in the parking lot at Walmart somewhere and we just start talking about how good God is. How they just recovered from a surgery and now they have full mobility. And you think we're going to have to get to church before we start celebrating? Uh-uh. When I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he has done right where we are, no matter where it is, my soul cries out, 
Hallelujah. You don't need a church over here or a church over there to celebrate me, says God. Wherever you are, lift up, hold your hands and give me the glory. In fact, God says, let everything that has breath praise God. But what caused Jesus to tell what he told to this woman further is compassion. I'm not going to name the preacher because you know who he is. I'm going to let you figure it out. Once I tell you a few things, you got it anyway. But there's this preacher who packs in every Sunday 30,000 plus people. And I listen to preachers in their criticism. He can't preach. He doesn't preach the gospel. He preaches a happy message all the time. He just preaches stuff that sounds good and make you feel good. And they asked me, what do you think? I said, I think he's preaching fine. First of all, he must be saying something right to pack in 30,000 people on a given Sunday. I mean, you just can't stand up there and just holler and 30,000 people going to show up. He got to be saying something. But then I said, you know why I think they keep coming? I remember in the interview of a parishioner that left his church on the way out by a reporter, why you come here every week? And the parishioner said, it's the compassion in the word. See, the previous church I had, they reminded me of my sin Every Sunday, they constantly beat me up and had me convicted. And when I left out, I felt worse going out than I felt coming in. But when I heard this preacher, he talked about how God is loving and compassion. But most importantly, he doesn't give judgmental theology all the time. He reminds us that we fall short of God's glory, but very quickly he reaches into heaven and brings back the forgiveness of God and the grace of God that cleanses us up and then the inspiration of God that pushes us. Now go back out there and continue working to live for the kingdom. He reminded me that I'm working out my soul salvation. My previous church told me I know I'm saved permanently, but they made me feel like every week I was thrown to the wolves, I jumped in the fire, I never got out the fire, and there just was no hope for me until I got to heaven. I just couldn't see what's the purpose of living for God, and all I got was hell in church, let alone what I got outside of church. And that's why Jesus tells this woman, there's a time coming. In fact, the time is now. It's not where. Look at what the text says, verse 24. God is interested in how you live and who you are. And if you are engaging your spirit for truth. Now, let's not hold you too long. Let me give you this one point. The woman had to come to a place, and I'm convinced she did, 
uh, that I've got to choose where to worship God. And if you read through the rest of the story, it's neither. It's, it's neither Gerizim nor Jerusalem. She turns into an evangelist and runs back to town and tells everybody. But you transition the text to contemporary setting of where we are, we got to ask ourselves the question, why do we come to church every week? Why, why, why do we choose to worship? Modern technology has now enabled us to not even have to go to church to see church. In fact, I feel it's a privilege when I come to church and somebody's actually in church because people can see church in less than an hour and probably get just as much as being here in the two hours that we spend. Three of it's me preaching. But there is one thing that you can't get on television. And you can't get it through the radio. You have to be in here to experience and witness the atmosphere. We talk about, read Acts chapter 2, we talk about Pentecost. We can only read it from the pages, that's all we can do. We can only read it and only assume, only imagine what that must have meant to have the power of God come through, here it is, like a mighty rushing wind. <laughs> but if you've ever been in worship, oh God, I wish I had somebody help me. You've ever been in worship and God shows up. And I mean, not, we're not talking about everybody. We're not talking about everybody. We're talking about you. He shows up to meet you right where you are. And this turns out to be your well where he meets you. And when you show up and God shows up, there's something in the atmosphere to the point where when you know that God is there and speaking with you, it, it doesn't matter what they do on the left or right. It's just you and God in that moment of worship. And it doesn't matter if anybody says amen or not. You, you will because you know what it means to have a face. You can't get that on television. You can see the excitement. But there's nothing like being in the excitement. Here's a poor analogy. Poor analogy, but it makes my point. I used to love to watch pro basketball games on the television. Two reasons. One, I don't have to worry about anybody sitting beside me. See, that's, that's my space. Two, I don't have to pay $10 for a bucket of popcorn. Three, when the commercials come, I got time to reload. But when you go to the game, the whole entire atmosphere is totally different. Watch this. I choose the worship because worship is to me nothing more than an act of protest. It's an act of protest because after I have experienced evil attack through the course of the week 
And you know, you've been hit hard enough. There are some times when you get up on Sunday morning, you tell your body and your mind, I, I don't really want to go to church today. I just want to lay here and relax. That's all right. You ain't got to say amen. I know. So I can recuperate and get ready to go back to the hell field tomorrow. But I choose protest that I choose to protest because if I know if I can just get to the house of God there's going to be something in the atmosphere that's going to let me know that God is going to re-energize recharge reboot revive re-enthuse what I've lost through the course of the previous week. Now, I say that to say that when I, when I go to a basketball game and I get into, get into the arena, it's different than looking at them too because on the two, first of all, everybody looked that big, you know, they looked that small. But when you see them, but on the court ain't the joy. It's when the timeout comes. Because when the timeout comes, folk come out to the middle of the floor and do all kinds of gymnastic stuff and they come out throwing stuff back to the audience. They're trying to engage the audience while there's a break in the action to enjoy the atmosphere in this place. It's worth you coming for the main attraction. Watch this and then I'm done. That's the reason why when I come to church, it's worth coming because before we get to the sermon, the choir is going to say something. They're going to sing a song. Something's going to happen where they're going to usher us up to the presence of God. Somebody, I pray, is going to bring a prayer about where that prayer is going to stir up the spirit of God in this place and my soul starts to get happy because it's been depressed all week long and my soul is encouraged. Stand up and protest against evil. You may have had me Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but Sunday morning I've got into the house of God where the spirit of God is going to rain and I can feel joy coming back in my soul I can feel my peace coming back I can feel my power coming back I can feel my joy coming back and no matter what hell got prepared for me tomorrow I'm ready to go out and meet it in Jesus name because I have been revived and that's why I choose to worship but I also choose to worship because I get something out of public celebration. Yeah, Hebrews 10, 35 tells us that we shouldn't forsake coming together. But before verse 35, it's around 33 and 34 where the writer says, see that you encourage one another. See that you love one another and I want to close by telling you you know there are some times when you come to church God has an amazing way of taking your eyes off of you and putting your eyes on someone else who is worshiping because they have decided in their own way
that they don't care who's looking at them. They don't care what you might say about them. They don't have any consideration as to what you might think about them. They just going to celebrate God because in their minds and in their hearts, they recognize the goodness of God and the favor of God and the power of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God. They saw, as in the life of this woman, how he looked beyond their faults. But God lets us see how he manifests his praise in people differently. Wouldn't it be strange if all of us praise the same way? That's why I love it. I love it, love it, love it, love it! When Mother Doctor gets to run around this church. I love it! Because my mind, my natural mind says, why would you do that? At your age, you can just sit and relax. But my spirit tells me she's not thinking about her age. In fact, she is grateful. And because of her gratefulness, she ain't afraid. True story. My wife and I, my Tasha was a little bitty thing. We went to a church in Washington. Uh, we just happened to visit it before someone invited us. And it was one of those uppity, middle-class, bourgeois black churches. And it was quiet. And this was one of those days, Tasha was a great child as a, as a baby, it was a great baby. She, you never heard anything out of her. Barbara did an excellent job at preparing her how to be in church. And so we happened to be in church this Sunday, and for whatever reason, you know, also babies get them days where it's their way or no way at all. And this was one of them days when Tasha decided in that location, at that time, that this is going to be my day. And she blurted out, you know, with a whine. It wasn't a cry, a whine. And I'm here to tell you, when that child whined, every eye in that sanctuary, I believe, turned and looked at Barbara and I as if to say, do you not know where you are? We don't have noise in our church. And Barbara looked at me and I looked at her and I just said, you want to leave? You want to go right now? Barbara said, uh-uh, we're, 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 we're almost done. When we got in the car, Barbara Ann said, don't you ever bring me back to this church again. <laughs> I said, but remember, I didn't bring us here. Your nephew invited us here. I didn't come here. I didn't even know where the church was. And she says, have you ever seen anything in your life where people don't have any noise. One reason why you never hear me and you never will hear me complain about children who make noise in this church or who run around, first of all, they substitute for you. When you just sit here and look at me as if you're trying to figure me out, they doing their thing. I like the noise. It helps me realize somebody else is in the house other than me. But secondly, worship. Church is a space of freedom. If a child or a person can't feel safe and free, 
in church. Where do they feel free and safe at? And I refuse to let a cry of a child hinder us from celebrating God. In fact, every time the temptation comes to wonder why they're crying, I can hear Jesus say, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not. Here it is, for such those children are the kingdom of God. And you know every time God looks at us, God says, if I could just get you to humble yourself as that little child, then you will know the kingdom of God. I choose to worship because when I come upon communal praise, I get to see how God is working in your life and he helps me recognize it ain't as bad as I thought it was. It might be why James says you should confess your issues one to another because when I look over and I know what so-and-so has been through or going through and they still got to praise, I recognize I can't keep it to myself. Remember the closing event. Here's my closing story. Jesus is in a crowd. And the Pharisees says, why your, why your disciples worship, make noise, and follow you the way they do? Sort of give you praise everywhere they go. And Jesus looks at the ground to an animated object and says to it, if they don't celebrate me, the rocks will cry out. Can you imagine that? Now, Isaiah says that God is so good and nature recognizes it. Isaiah says that the trees clap their hands to God in glory. Isaiah says every time the trees sway from side to side and they slap against one another, that's God's wind. You, you, you're not catching it. That's God's wind moving them and they giving God praise. And that's an inanimated object. God is saying, what about those that I give protection? That I made a way out of no way. Who were near death's door. Who didn't know how they would get in, but I worked it out so they got in. Praise me. So this, le this, this lesson, this lady tells us, I choose to work. I'm not going to go to church and fold my arms and cross my legs and look dignified as if God ain't done nothing for me. But I'm going to fold my arms, uncross my legs, and if the Spirit of God hits me right, I'm going to run all around this place because you don't know like I know what the Lord, you got, you got to say that like grandma, what the Lord done done for me. You don't, you don't know. 
Father, help somebody see this afternoon to not let their past hold them back to growth. Yes, 